0: I want to, uh, today, I I want to read a couple of scriptures to you. These are not in the notes, so uh, you'll just have to either look them up or or just write them down. But this is in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 1. It says, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed upon the churches in Macedonia. That would be in present-day Greece. Then in a great trial of affliction... The abundance of their joy, their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness, according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely and willingly giving. And it's it's really an interesting scripture because um, the churches that were in Macedonia at the time were struggling. They're going through great persecution. And yet there was a need in another church for generosity because they were struggling also even worse. And Paul is just kind of taking this moment to say, in the midst of your poverty, you understood that giving was a grace. It's a grace gift. You know, we don't give out of out of this idea of, um, wow, it makes sense. We give out of grace. We go, no, I, I have the abundance of just joy in my heart to somehow give. And Tammy and I have been um, just you know, lifetime givers. We, we love to give. We love to be generous uh, in our giving. And this next scripture is another one that just kind of brings it uh, to bear. It's in chapter 9 and verse 6. It says, But this I say to you, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one, as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And that, that word right there, cheerful, in the, in the Greek language is a word literally hilarious. You know, I mean, I've never really seen an offering where you take an offering and people start just breaking out in laughter, you know, of all their giving. Like, this is hilarious and I can't wait to give more. But I would love that. I would love that to see that happen because that's really what happens. You know, that, that we give out of this joyful heart. And when you do that, it just it just feels right. It feels good. Um, You may remember I told the story. I was walking out of Hobby Lobby or a strange place for men to be. I just want to be up front. I mean, there's like four guys in there and three of them worked there, you know, and when I was in there and and, uh, it was last Christmas and I was walking out and there was a Salvation Army bell ringer, kettle guy, you know, taking money and I walked past him and you know, I do like everybody else does. You know, he, he's, you know they don't need my money. What, I don't really have much. I'm in a hurry. I mean, you know, name your excuse. And I got out to my car, and God brought a scripture to my mind. He who gives to the poor lends unto the Lord, and he will repay. <laughs> you, you ever have the Holy Spirit correct your course? You know, you go like, <sighs> you know, he didn't. So I turn around, I got to go back over there. And then, you know, and then that moment we decide to be generous. And all you have are large bills. (laughs) It just can't be a dollar, can't be a five in my, a 10, no, it can't be any of those. The only thing I had was a 100. I know, see, you feel it, you felt it. You didn't even give it and you felt the pain. (laughs) And I, you know, and then I take it out and I go, "Ah." now I'm going through stage two of my problem, right? I had to turn around, come back, Lord's corrected me, and and then and then it was like, you know, Lord, I'm gonna do this because you're gonna repay me. That's the promise. That's really weird. You say, Well, you shouldn't give to get. Well, that's what God said he was gonna do. He said, You're gonna sow and you're gonna reap. And if you give to the poor, I'm it's you're lending unto the Lord, the Lord is gonna repay you. So I put it in there, and I walked back and I said, God, I felt really good about that, but I'm never going to Hobby Lobby again. <laughs> but listen what it says uh, in, uh, in this chapter. It says, chapter uh, 9, verse 6, but I say to this, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. So let each one as he's purposed in his heart. You see, the giving comes from the heart, not the head. It's really an interesting scripture, not grudgingly or necessity. So it's like he says, if you, if you give grudgingly, you're really missing the point, right? See, and this is what I like to do. I like to pastor you. This is, this is pastoring. This is kind of helping you to understand. I'm going to show you the application here in a minute. But um, that you may always have all sufficiency in all things and may have an abundance for every good work. So why do you do this grace of giving? That God is able to make grace abound toward you. Why? That you will always have all sufficiency in all things. So my generosity, my giving, enables me to have sufficiency in every aspect of my life. So if I withhold that, what I'm doing is I'm negating... This sufficiency promise that God gives me in Scripture about the grace of giving. As it is written, he has dispersed uh, abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. And now look at this. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower, bread for food, supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. So God is the one that gives you the seed to sow. And the seed, you know, is that $100 bill I put in the kettle but God gave me that. I was there working, but God enabled me to have lungs and capacity and opportunity to receive an income. And in turn, I could turn around and God would just repay back. And I, and I just love that whole principle. So we're living in this day that is, um, some have called it, where are we heading toward hyperinflationism? Okay. We know there's inflation. Uh, we can tell it at the gas pump. I noticed that California now has the record of the highest gasoline uh, in Northern California. It hit $7.49. You know, it's, isn't it funny that we react to that because we just can't believe it, right? It's just hard to believe that it could go that high, that some gas station could have the guts to put $7.49 on his sign all right? That, that's what hits me. And and if you drive a lot, it really makes a big difference. If you're just kind of tootling around here, it doesn't make that big a deal, maybe, uh, depending on where you are economically. But then you go and you go, well, you know, it looks to me like food is higher. And you start looking at all these different areas, you know, that, and you go, this is higher, and this is higher, and this is higher, and we know why there's hundred ships in the harbor that aren't unloaded and they're a billion dollars a ship on an average. Do that math. I took my car in to have some service done on it and I was shocked. There was like eight cars on the parking lot. New ones. They're just out of cars. I said, where's all your cars? We don't have them. We can't get them. They've offered to buy my car back three times for more money than I paid for it two years ago. Well, you should sell it. Well, then what am I going to get? Think, think Einstein here. This is not working this way, right? And I, and I, and I was just kind of reminded in this time of inflation, and, and I don't believe we're headed to superinflation. That's, uh, that's pretty high up there, but we're definitely at 5% maybe, you know, above, and some of the items are 50% higher than they were before. But what do you do in real life as a Christian and your faith in God, when your, the, the economic climate around you, okay, forget political climate, just economic climate around you, is not cooperative, is not kind. And God just kind of took me back historically in the Bible. I began to think about, about all the times that God supplied needs in times of problems. And how God said, you know, my grace is sufficient for you, right? that I will will supply all your needs according to my riches in Christ Jesus. I thought about Israel going through the wilderness, you know, really as escaping, really as as slaves from Egypt, now 40 years in the wilderness. And the scripture says, and their shoes did not wear out from their feet, and they had food every day supplied from God. And that was a pattern, that was a model. God said, I want to do that. Jesus brought that to contemporary world in in the Sermon on the Mount when he sat down. He said, why do you worry about so much stuff? Have you thought about the birds of the air? Have you thought about the lilies of the field? All of these I take care of. Are you not worth more than all of these? And what happens is when, when crisis comes or when situations of, let's say, unfriendly economic times come, what we do is we fall back into a pattern of fear what am I going to do, instead of just resting in God and saying, God, you promised. You know, this is a promise book. God wrote this for you, for your benefit, for your comfort, and so that when you rely on this, then you go, okay, God, I don't know how this is going to work, but you promised. There's been many times when I said, God, you promised, and I'm holding you to it. You have to have that kind of confidence that the word of God is true and it's not that God needs to be reminded of his promises. You need to be reminded of his promises. So when you, say, when you repeat them back to yourself, God, you said, you know, this is what you're going to do, then you just have to trust God this is what you're going to do. Here's what the enemy will do. He will seek to isolate you from the power of God. You just get isolated, and you, you get in a little fear box, and the little fear box doesn't allow you to access God's power. And so now it's all on you. What am I going to do? Becomes the, becomes the catchphrase. What am I going to do? Well, how about trust God? Well, I don't see God working. Well, he's a little sneaky. He doesn't give you a lot of data up front. Have you noticed that? You know, we, we've been in this uh, uh, building. We, we entered into escrow in this building. I'll talk more about it a little bit later. But we entered into escrow Uh, about two weeks ago, and you know, I knew what it was going to be like. It was going to be nerve-wracking from a faith standpoint. And I was driving down the road, and God just said, do you think I moved all the people that I've moved to give what they gave so that you could hit a dead end? Well, that's a pretty good point you make there, God. (laughs) And the generosity from you has been amazing, and, and really just People that sometimes I never saw it coming. They just walked up and said, hey, here's uh, a check. And I'd look, open it up and I'd go, wow. Right? And I knew that that was God. You see, because it wasn't like I called up, made an appointment, sat down with you and said, you know, I really need you to write a big check. None of these people I did. And I knew it was the grace of giving. It was something that was coming from the inside that just said, and, and then so God... I rely on that. I said, God said, I didn't lead you down this road to hit a a wall. So whenever you're in faith, whenever you're trusting God and walking with God for something, just kind of remind yourself of some of the evidence of things you've seen. You may not see the fruition of it yet, but remember the evidence is always indicating and pointing you back to a faithful God. Amen? And I really believe that there's some extra grace that comes to those churches, okay, that are are determined to trust God, especially in a climate that's not always friendly to churches. And I believe that California is one of those places. And I don't, I don't, I like that. I like to be in a situation where I have to see the hand of God. You know. Another thing is the enemy will will seek to disconnect you from the or discount the moment that you live in. So sometimes, and what I mean by that is, you know, you're living in this moment right now, and what he does is he says, it's really not that significant, it's really not that important, it's really not that powerful, or he'll flip it and he'll say, you're really not that important, you're really not going to do well, and and, and and kind of paints the bad picture. Remember, that's not ever coming from God. That's always coming from the enemy who wants to just somehow take the moment you live in and spoil it. Don't allow the enemy to spoil your moment. That's why the Bible says rejoice in all things. Right? Why? Because if you don't, you're going to do the opposite. You're going to despair in all things. So the Bible says, and it's by way of a command, rejoice in all things. Well, what if I don't want to? The Bible already told you you have to. (laughs) Well, I don't feel like it. Do it anyway. Do it until your feeler changes right? So rejoice in all things. The other thing is he will try to polarize you with fear. You know, when you're you're walking in fear, you can't exercise faith. And when you're walking in faith, you can't exercise fear. So those are polar opposites. So you ask yourself every day, am I walking in faith? Am I walking in fear? If you're walking in fear, then just Turn the, turn the, the attitude in a different direction. I'm just going to choose to trust you, God, because I believe your word is true, even when I don't see evidence of it right now. And that's just what you do. That's, that's how you live the Christian life. You don't walk by sight. You walk by faith. If you walk by sight, it'd be easy. Right? God comes along and says, you know, he throws breadcrumbs and says, follow these breadcrumbs. Oh, God, this is great. I'm getting to the gingerbread house really quick. No, it doesn't work that way. He says, if you will take the next step, I'm gonna gonna be there for you to get you to the next step. But if you're polarized, you can't move. I've always found the greatest way to get God moving in your life is to trust him for something and go for it. Even if it scares you to death. Right, just go for it. I love this scripture, Psalm uh, 16, eight. It says, I have set the Lord continually before me Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. So, you know, if you look, whatever's in front of you is going to capture your attention. You know, I've got friends that drive always trying to talk, look at you when they're talking. You you got friends like that? They're driving and they're, (laughs) you're one of them, Ray. (laughs) You know, he's just driving along, hey, what's going on? (laughs) I want you to focus on driving. <laughs> Why? Because what your, your attention is going to be on what you set before you. If you set God before you, everything else becomes just minor and inconsequential. And, and so that becomes the important part of your life. And look what, it's, look what the promise is. And because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Shaken. I'm going to give you... Uh, uh, just some things that I believe are really powerful to thrive in the midst of inflation. How's that? First thing is the word of God. The word of God. Very simple. When you're not in the word, when you're not reading the word of God, it becomes easy to lose your confidence. It really does. And I'm not trying, you say, well, I don't have time to sit down and study the Bible. I didn't say it. I said, just read it. One verse a day keeps the devil away. Amen? It doesn't take a lot. But just get a consistent pattern of reading the word of God. You know, there's plenty of Bible apps that just do a pop-up scripture every day. You just read that little scripture. And you'd be surprised how what you're doing is you're sowing into your life the word of God. In Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6, God says, For I am the Lord, I do not change. See, we change Change is a creature word. God does not change. He is the creator, God. So the God who loved you yesterday is going to love you today. The God that provided for you yesterday will provide for you today. I do not change. But then he goes on to say this in verse seven, but you have gone away from my ordinances hmm, and have not kept them. So where's the problem? The problem is not that God has changed. The problem is that I have either neglected or rejected the ordinances of God, the word of God. And here's what God says, return to me and I'll return to you. People say, well, I just feel like God's a million miles away. Well, he's not, you are. Return to God, he'll return to you. How do I do that? God, I want to return to you. How's that for a prayer? See, don't make following after God so complicated. Make it simple. God says, return to me. I said, God, I want to return to you. You know, and you just say, God, I'm going to do everything I know to do today to walk with you. He says, return to me, I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, in what way shall we return? So we talk a little bit about the word of God. Let me talk to you about your wealth. Your wealth. You say, well, I don't have any wealth. Well, you know, if you make $30,000 a year, you're in the upper 99.9% wage earners in the world. Now, how many of you have wealth? Well, I got a little bit wealthier all of a sudden. Just like that, I became a wealthier person. And sometimes it was just who we're comparing things to or or what we want and what we need. You know, my wife and I, we went out. We were going to look at, uh, you know, buying an electric bike for her. I've got one that doesn't run right now, but it's going to get running before long, right? So we're looking at them, and we got in the car and said, you know, it's really easy not to buy something. You know, if you just delay a little bit, you, you can talk yourself out of anything. If you hurry and rush, you'll buy everything. But I just think, you know, you know. And then she said, "Well, you really need a new car." And I said, "Well, you know, I think I can get tape on my seat because that spring's coming up through the seat." Uh, that's not. I'm not joking, right? But, but I think, but I, I'd rather put tape on it than spend money. It's easy to talk yourself out of something, and and I think what you do is you have to just kind of understand that wealth is something that's been entrusted to you to do something with it. It, Provide for your family, absolutely. But what will you do, how will you leverage that for for the legacy of the kingdom of God and for your family? I was on the plane uh, coming back from D.C. a few years ago with my wife, and I was sitting next to a guy who was uh, uh, a CEO of a very large finance company in Dallas, and he was looking at a brochure on Porsche. And, uh, and he, he, I just couldn't help notice that I'm kind of looking. It's really cool. I'm thinking, man, I wish I had that Porsche right now. And uh, so anyway, we get to talking. He says, uh, so uh, where do you, what brought you to D.C.? And I said, well, my wife and I were meeting with uh, Prayer for the Persecuted Church and talking about how to, you know, all the persecution of Christians around the world and human trafficking and all that kind of stuff. And then he looks down at his Porsche brochure and he goes, I feel a little guilty right now. I said, no, you shouldn't. You should not. What you should do is one day when you're bouncing your granddaughter or grandson on your lap and they think you're really cool because you have a Porsche, what you say is what really makes grandpa cool is that I've been able to make a difference in the world. Have the Porsche, but don't neglect your responsibilities. And sometimes we get in this weird world, you know, that God just wants you to, you know, look humble and be poor everywhere you go. Remember, the guy that was the most humble was a guy named Solomon who humbled himself before God, and because he humbled himself and didn't ask for great riches, God made him the richest person on planet Earth. You say, well, that's what I'm going to do. Well, you already got the wrong attitude, (laughs) right? You're going, I'm just going to act humble so I can get great riches, You missed the point. (laughs) Humility is a a word that comes from an original word that means when the water runs low in a riverbed. Here's what he says in Malachi 3.10. He said, how have we we departed from you? He said, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and test me now in this. I want to just pause there for a moment. You know, the only time that I can think of where God says, put me to the test is here, is built around the tithe. I don't want to tense the Lord, tempt the Lord. No, he he says, do that, do that, and let me show you what I can do for you. He says, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Wow. The promise is, you put me to the test on the tithe, and we'll explain what that is here in a minute, If you don't know, put me to the test on the tithe, and what I'm going to do is I have windows in heaven, and I can open them up for you, and I can bless you beyond what you ever thought were possible. I want to tell you I am a satisfied customer of God when it comes to the tithe. Day I gave my heart to Christ in college, I have given one at least one tenth of all of my income every year since that day, and I have never been disappointed. I just believe that I believe in the faithfulness of God. That's all. I just believe that he's, His word is true. Why would I believe Him on salvation and not believe Him on this? This matter? See, it all is just it's the book. Amen. I believe it from cover to cover. I even believe the maps in the back. <laughs> so He says, I'm gonna open up the windows of heaven. So what is a tithe? I had a guy call me, he'd just gotten saved. He was a, a guy in the Marine, and he said, Hey, what's this tithy? I don't know what a tithy is. I said, what? And he, sh- he gave me the reference. I said, oh, the tithe. I said, well, the tithe is literally the word tenth. In fact, in the Latin, the word dime is where it means tenth. That's why we call it a dime, because it's a tenth of $1. So the tithe is a tenth of your income. And then people always say, well, is that before or after taxes? Right? There's got be, to be a loophole. What was it, uh, was it W.A. Fields? W. Fields, he said, reading the Bible, he said, What are you looking for? He said, I'm looking for a loophole. <laughs> I said, Well, I believe it's the first tenth, so it's before taxes. But then I was asked the second question, Well, do you want to be blessed on the before or the after taxes amount? See, remember, giving comes from the heart, not the mind. The tithe belongs to the Lord. It's not mine. See, the first tenth is his, and then the other ninety is mine. And anything I give above a tithe is an offering. Tithe is a test of God's faithfulness. If God can't come through with this, how do you know He's going to take you to heaven? But isn't it funny how money is just like one of those things where it's just, it's in a different category. You know, I know people say after I preach a message on giving, they'll say, but you hate to preach on giving. No, I love to preach on giving because I know it's the fastest way out of the economic problems we face in life. It just works. It works even if you're not a Christian. How about that? Because it's a divine principle of God given for mankind whereby he might open the windows of heaven and bless people. Tithe carries a divine promise. Think about that. The promise is, if you do this, I will do this. I will open the windows of heaven to you. I don't know about you, I'd rather have open windows from God, from heaven, than no windows open from God, from heaven. How about you? See, I just make it really simple, really practical. Well, let me tell you what we entered into here, and some of you have seen this, and you're going to see it again until we close on this building on November 30th, amen, if i'm if I survive this thirty days of faith trial, we're going to be all right. But um, yeah, so what we do, where we' you're seated now is in the worship center, and uh, we have uh, we're an escrow on the building over here we call the Ministry center, and that would be, if you're facing the church, that would be to your right. And it's about twenty two thousand square feet of of space. Uh, we have a person, a tenant that comes with it that's leasing one floor and pays more than half uh, of, the, of the entire mortgage on that. So it's really a great opportunity for us to kind of step into that next stage. And, and, uh, and of course, uh, we, I think we have a close-up of that building as well. There it is right there. We've already put our name on it. Not on the building. We photoshopped our name on it so you could see what it would look like. We, you know, we're not out there in the middle of the night taking the other guy's name off, though that would be okay. I, I guess that would really be a face step And, you know, if I reflect back, it's going to be, we're going to celebrate next year our 10-year anniversary. And we started uh, with no money, no database, no people, no place to meet. We started with zero, right? And God has brought us to the place now where this building is worth $8.6 million. You know, I mean, if you think about that, it's 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 not anything insignificant. It's significant what God has done. And now we're redoing the front of the building. We just felt like there's some things we wanted to do in the next 10 years to to signal the the next decade, and so we're going to resurface it. We want to get this building. We've got some other really great things coming. We're going to have a big celebration uh, in February as we enjoy it. But with the first decade, we're really builders. We had people that literally showed up here and swept the floor and knocked off um, tiles and painted and hung stuff, doors and, and everything else. Um, why? Because they saw, they, they were in a building mode, you know. Um, I think about Ben and Marion sitting out there, you know, they were they were up here a lot with a broom and with a hammer and with a chisel and whatever, whatever was needed to kind of make a difference. So when I walk around here, I, I see things maybe a little bit different than most people because I remember, I remember when Mike Kelly was going to, Take down a section of the wall, and he took the wrong one down—the one we just put up new sheetrock. <laughs> These things happen, you know. You get it. You just—this is part of the lo- the joy of it, you know. But now we're entering to this next decade of builders. I believe we've gone from pioneers to now builders, and this is a legacy. This is a legacy time for us. So, um, our goal is six hundred thousand. We need to raise six hundred thousand dollars, and we are. Uh, past halfway mark of that, and we thank God for every one of you. And the gifts have been as small as $15 and as large as $200,000. So, you know, that's a miracle to me. That's amazing to me, right? And I just uh, I just want to implore you just to kind of press in and see what God would have you do, because it takes gifts of all kinds. It takes a small gift, but it really... You can't do it without the large checks either. So I just want you to really pray about that. If you have some questions or you want to kind of walk through that, here's my phone number. It's my mobile number. You can text me, um, and I will uh, seek to get back to you in a timely manner. But look what it says in Malachi chapter 3, verse 11. Here's, here's the promise of inflation. And this, I love this section. I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. What devours your income? What devours your livelihood? He says, I'm going to rebuke the devourer for your sakes. Now he clarifies who the devourer is. Look, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground. See, you're always in this spiritual battle where God is wanting to build you up, but Satan is wanting to pull you down. So when the devourer comes to to destroy you, I'm going to intercede for you. I'm going to step in the way of that. And it says, nor shall the vine uh, fail to bear fruit in your field, says the Lord of hosts. So what does God do? He rebukes the devourer for you. Sometimes people say, well, I'm gonna rebuke the devil. Well, you can do that, and that's fine, and there's scripture for that, but remember, God is doing that already on your behalf. Isn't that cool? He just, I'm rebuking the devourer. When When you walk in my promises, I'm gonna rebuke the devourer for you. And God will also preserve your resources, well, what's an example of that you can think of? Well, I remember we had our, when we first married, we had a car, and it had uh, 70,000 miles on it. And we had a guy that was, uh, he worked at the paper mill. And he said, I'm going to check out those brakes. I, I want to make sure you can stop because you got a lot of miles in that car. And he pulled the wheel off, and I bought the car new, so I knew how many miles it was on it when the brakes were changed. It was original brakes. And he goes, when did you say you, uh, how many miles on this car? And I said, like 70. And he said, these brakes are only halfway gone. I didn't really have money for new breaks at that moment. I can't explain it. I don't have to figure out all the ways that God has preserved resources, but God does that for you. And also, God will increase your production. Notice what he says here. He says that the vine will uh, will bear fruit for you in the field. In other words, what you do is gonna prosper more when you walk with God and do what God says. Isn't that great? God's just gonna amplify everything for you. God's gonna bring increase in your life. And then not only is there this idea of your wealth, but there's all the idea of your witness. And here's the promise, Malachi 3.12, and all the nations will call you blessed. And you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. You know what's interesting about this? It's not that everybody on, in America, let's say, is going to tithe and honor God. He says, I'm not talking to everybody. I'm talking to you. If my people who are called by my name Chronicle says, will humble themselves and seek my face. Turn from their wicked way. I will heal their land. See the promises? God takes a remnant of people, and he will bless a lot of people when just a handful of people step up. So I'm going to have you stand with me right now, and and I have a prophetic blessing. I just want to bless over you. You can uh, just repeat after me. Uh, It'll be on the screens for you. I call this the generosity principle. And it begins uh, like this In Jesus' name, I acknowledge God's principle of sowing and reaping. My faith is multiplied and enriched through my personal generosity. God has opened the windows of heaven for me to receive a blessing beyond all that I could imagine. I expect, didn't sound very expectant, I expect that God will work miracles in my life. Right now, let me just pause for a second. What miracle do you need in your life right now? Everybody here needs a miracle of some kind. There's something that you need God to do. It might be healing. It might be a job. It might be a relationship. Everyone in this room needs it. Just take that expectation. Say, God, I expect you to heal me. I expect you to take care of me. I expect you to meet the need. God, I just do. And right now, against all odds, I claim that in Jesus' name. I hold on to that in Jesus' name. Are you holding on? You're holding on to it? Just reach out and hold on to it. And then we go on and read, I will bless the work of the kingdom that in all ways I may be a blessing to others see that's that's why we exist to bless other people to glorify the Lord of heaven amen amen put your hands together give God the glory God the praise so right now I want to uh, I want to just have a time of prayer for you um, any of you who say I need a miracle right now I'm just going to have you uh, let's just bow our heads but any of you who'd like uh, just us to, to pray over you right now. Just come up here to the front. Stand here around the front. Anything God is moving in your heart, say, Pastor, you don't have to reveal what it is at all. You just say, I just want to see God work something in my life. Um, just, I'll give you a minute just to come on up here. And it's something very significant about movement when you need a miracle I've just kind of, well, can't God give me a miracle where I'm standing? Absolutely. But if he tells you to come up here or urges you to come up here, come up here. All right? Because obedience is always more powerful than anything in your life when it comes to God. Just, God, I'm going to follow what you want me to do. Whatever you want me to do, God, I'm going to do. Whatever you want me to do, God, I'm going to do. All right? Okay, we'll just give you one more minute here for the rest of you to come on up. Just kind of squeeze in here. Get tight. Get to know each other. All right. Okay, now for everyone here at the front, I want you to right now just to do this. I want you to think of what it is you're trusting God for. What is it you're believing God for? What is God What's the miracle you need in your life? Okay, you got it? one of you got it right now, okay? You just got it. Okay. Now, I'm going to I want you to offer that to God right now. I'm going to pray over you. And as I pray over you, I want you to just just acknowledge that you receive the promises of God in behalf of, on behalf of your miracle, okay? Dear Lord Jesus, I pray right now in the name that is above every name, the name at which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, that all the obstacles to the miracles that the people here at the front of this church Are holding on to as a miracle God that that all the obstacles will fall away in Jesus name that you will open up the windows of heaven you will bring a blessing beyond what anyone could imagine that you're going to be the sufficiency of grace in their life we say in Jesus name cancer be gone in Jesus name we say in Jesus name financial problems be gone in Jesus name We say in Jesus' name, conflicts and relationships be gone in Jesus' name. Dear God, open up the windows of heaven right now and bless beyond measure. May the miracles begin today, even right now, God, that we might give glory to you, that we might further the kingdom, and we might live in joy and happiness, even even in conflict to sometimes the environment we live in. Father, we know the environment doesn't have to be friendly for you to work. In fact, sometimes you work in greater ways when the environment around us and the circumstances are the most difficult. Miracles happen when there's a problem. God, we've acknowledged the problem. We've acknowledged you. And now we say your word says we believe it. We trust the almighty God in Jesus' name. If you receive it, just say, I receive it. I receive it. Amen.